Now, if you closed your Bible already from 1 Corinthians 14, you shouldn't have. You should open it up. Uh, you'll get your money's worth out of it today. Uh, we're going to be looking at various parts of that, uh, jumping through the whole thing. Uh, there's a, a little anecdote I came across this week. Uh, husband and wife. Wife is in labor, about to give birth, and uh, they're, they need to make it to the hospital, but it looks like they're not going to make it. So the husband calls 911, and the operator on the other line says, Oh, your wife's in labor. Is, it her first, is this her first child? And he, in his franticness, says, No, this is her husband. <laughs> Do you ever have those days where you miss the point? Where, where what's going on around you just doesn't seem to equate with what you're actually doing or how you're doing it. or You just, you just miss the point. Might I suggest that as we've been talking about prayer uh, in all of our lives, it is easy sometimes to miss the point of prayer without realizing it. All kinds of good things we can do, but we don't actually get to the, the, the fullness of prayer. Because what is prayer really? Prayer is about relationship. It's about relationship with God. It's not about requests that we make. The requests are important, but they're an avenue to where we're going, not the end result. Prayer is about relationship with God. And it's easy to get sidetracked by the good things that we should do in prayer and miss out on the best that God has, which is that communion with his children. That relationship that he wants with us. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14. Some of you might have been nervous when we read the passage. Um, I hope you aren't by the end. Uh, but I hope you are challenged as we go through this, uh, as I have been looking at this over the past few weeks. We're going to learn from the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go there if you're following along. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 and start there. Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, as I said, this, this might, passage might make some of us nervous in the room because all of a sudden now the pastor is speaking about tongues. Uh, and uh, some of you might be worried that glossolalia is going to pop out right now at any time. Uh, but we're talking about prophecy too. In any case, we're talking about prayer. Step back for a moment from those two things of tongues and prophecy, and let's recognize that most of us, myself included, were schooled in prayer as, as those requests, what I was talking about at first. We were schooled in things like ACTS, right, the acronym. Uh, adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Wonderful acronym, I use it. But for many of us, that's become the end result. That, that's all we do when it comes to prayer. And, and imagine to yourself, uh, let's say somebody is going to enter into the world of online dating and they put all their information in the online dating, whatever it is, app or portal or whatever, and then they get matched up with somebody else. They don't at that point really know that person, do they? They just have some information about that person. Imagine if you, if you want pen pals. Did anybody have a pen pal growing up? I remember writing to a kid in Australia in second grade or something like that for a couple times. We didn't really know each other, but we shared some information about each other. And, and when, we, when we just enter prayer at the level of requests, remember, good thing, but that's all we're doing with prayer. We enter into the world of good, but sometimes there can be some problems that come with that. And we get into the category of a category I don't think exists, which is unanswered prayer. 
That is to say, if we're just making it down to the transaction, and the transaction doesn't work out the way we want the transaction to work out, and we think God didn't answer the prayer, but we have to recognize that God is perhaps doing something more than simply a transaction. That in prayer we're actually building a relationship with God. To walk in the midst of those things that are going on in our lives. So Paul brings up these two interesting categories. And, and we're going to get to the, the main topic today is contemplation uh, and meditation. We talked about last week, meditating on God's word. This is step two, but let's, we're going to walk into that. Paul's talking about tongues and prophecy. Tongues, when he says it here, he means something fairly specific as far as we can tell. Back in, if you look at Acts chapter 2, where you have the day of Pentecost, and you have uh, the disciples and some of the others speaking in tongues, they're speaking in recognizable human languages that they don't speak. That's one way to speak in tongues. If I now all of a sudden spoke Spanish, there were people in the room who only spoke Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, but if I did that, it'd be the Holy Spirit doing that. That's one way to do it. Paul here is talking much more about something like a heavenly uh, tongue. Uh, this sort of mysterious language that wouldn't be a human language. And it would function as a personal prayer language. I have friends who speak in tongues, personal prayer language. I personally don't have a personal prayer language. I highly regard their opinion. I highly do. I think it's good. Every time I've ever been in corporate worship, though, where tongues are spoken, I've been in a number of settings, it's always been done incorrectly. But I still very much believe that God uses tongues. We affirm it here. We generally don't do it in corporate worship. And Paul tells us, if it's ever going to happen in corporate worship, it better have interpretation. Paul believes very highly in order in worship. When he talks about prophecy, he's talking about something different, but still in the category of prayer. He says, this is the thing that's for the church. What is prophecy? But it's a direct word from the Lord. And if somebody in the assembly has a direct word from the Lord, then we ought to listen, but it ought to be understandable and intelligible. And it ought to have the purpose of building up the church, not the individual. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to prayer, it is, like I said, very easy to leave it at the category of requests, not relationship, or not building much of a relationship with that. And even when I make those requests to God, uh, I, I, if you ever had these, these situations where you pray for a situation, God, will you please enter this situation? It seems hopeless. God, I pray this a lot. God, will you give me an encounter where I can share about you, where I can invite somebody to church? And then God comes in the midst of those situations. And I'll have those conversations, like somebody will come by. But it wasn't the person I expected or the way I expected or the time of day that I expected. And I totally miss God's activity and God's work. And then I, I see it after the fact and I think, oh, God acted. And I'm surprised that God responds to my prayers. Anybody else in this category? You get surprised when God responds to our going before him. Oh, God, forgive my cynical heart that I would doubt you. But God is on the move. That's what Paul's talking about here. God is on the move and he wants his church to hear what he says. D.A. Carson uh, comments that our God is a thinking, speaking God. There's a lot that you should take in right there. Our God is a thinking, speaking God. And if we will know him, we must learn to think his thoughts after him. That is, God's already on the move. Prayer is entering into God's movement already in process, and us beginning to recognize what God is doing around us. Of course that can happen in requests, but it can happen in much deeper ways. That's what Paul's getting at. And we may not even recognize that the word of prophecy might be coming to us at regular intervals. 
through God's word. It's coming to us as we heard it this morning. Read to us as we hear it again. Read to us. That's the word of the Lord for us. The prophetic being uttered right there. The kerygma, the preached or proclaimed word, what's going on right now, can carry with it the prophetic. I wouldn't suggest everything I say is prophetic, but I certainly pray that sometimes it is. That sometimes God speaks through me. When we meet in our groups, prayer groups, small groups, the prophetic can happen. God can speak through individuals in those to the group to edify and build up his church. It happens around us whether we realize it or not. But we also have to recognize the danger that we see all throughout Scripture. If you look at someone like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Hosea or just name your prophet, what happened to all of them? They were ignored. They were ignored at regular intervals, and so we can ignore the word of the Lord if we're not careful. So let's understand when we're talking about prayer. Prayer is about relationship, not simply request. I'm not saying the requests are bad. I'm saying that's the entry level. That's the beginning of the process. God desires communion with you. Isn't that good news this morning? God wants a relationship with his creation, and that includes you and me. And God is speaking right now. Right now, God is on the move working. Do you believe it is the question. And furthermore, if we're going to hear God, you need to learn to listen to him. That's where we're going. Now let's continue on with what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, and 13. By the way, we should, we should point out that in chapter 13, that's the famous love passage that gets read at uh, weddings. It really has nothing to do with husband-wife love, although it's very applicable. It has everything to do with using the gifts of the Spirit in the church. That's what he's writing in that context. He's saying, okay, love and, and express that in how you use the gifts. 12 and 13, he's been talking, as we heard already, about that there needs to be distinction, there needs to be understanding when you, when you actually use the word of the Lord. He says, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. The Corinthian problem besides the disorderly nature of worship that's going on, and that was broader than tongues for them, the Corinthian problem is that God had gifted, and the gifts that God gave were good. Tongues, prophecy. But they're missing the point of those gifts. So when they're speaking in tongues, what happens is they're using it as a way to divide. It creates a hierarchy. Oh, some of us have it, and some of us don't. So some of us are better, and some of us are worse. Which creates pride, Pride is really the original sin when you get down to it, and that results in broken relationships, both within the congregation and with God. That's the direction that this is all taking. That's why it's so dangerous. It's a good gift that they've got exercised poorly. And so what the, the problem for the Corinthians is that they're content to offer good on the altar at the expense of God's best. They're not seeing the fullness of what God has for them in the exercise of a good gift poorly. What God offers us is relationship with our creator and God offers us right relationship with his creation. And they're breaking both of those things, misusing a good gift. They're caught up in tongues. And so we may say this morning, well, that's not our issue. We don't get caught up in that. But many of us get caught up in good things, missing God's best in the process, right? We get caught up in doing the ministry and doing God's work without actually being in communion with God. 
We go and do and then want to baptize it later. We get caught up in just in a quick devotional that's going to be inspirational, like we talked about last week, rather than transformational. The devotionals are good, but we want to be transformed by the word, not just slightly quickened by it. And, and we, we, com- we commit the, this one of, of often offering a short prayer. Let me just do a short prayer and then I'll go do what God wants. I'll just do a short prayer and then we'll do what God wants. Rather than committing ourselves to the Lord's presence to really listen. To really call upon the Lord, God, what do you want from us? I'm thankful, by the way, in our, our leadership at the church, we've really committed ourselves to calling on the Lord. It's been really exciting. We, we take time at the beginning of our meetings to actually say, okay, God, what do you have from us? Spend five, ten minutes just listening and praying. It's a glorious thing. If we go on, Paul gives us a corrective word on how we're supposed to operate as his people and in prayer. Verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For if I uh, pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. And some of us may look at that, as I did at first this week, and say, What? What are you saying, Paul? This is, a, this is classic. Paul is a little bit confusing at first. He encourages us to pray and sing. We should catch that first and foremost. And when he says, Spirit and understanding... Those seem to equate, in what he's saying, spirit equates to tongues, understanding or mind equates to prophecy. That's what he, he's making, sort of a parallel line there. So he says, yes, absolutely, we should sing and pray in the spirit, that is, in tongues or in, in a, a language that connects us directly with God. And absolutely, we should pray and sing in a way that is understandable and edifying to the congregation. There's a personal element to our prayer and there's a corporate element. There needs to be both of those. It needs to be orderly. It needs to be discernible as God's people. Both of those things need to happen. And the Corinthians are praying with the gifts out of context, basically. And when we start to do that, what we discover is that we find God, but we've sort of conquered the mystery, if you will. We, we find God... Uh, but we're lacking something in the process. This morning on my drive into church, uh, I, as I was just down the street here, I saw uh, somebody walking their dog. It's a beautiful, big, knee-high, kind of had the Irish setter color to it. Beautiful dog. The dog had the leash in its mouth, uh, and it was just delighted to have, you know, the leash is connected and in its mouth. Freedom, right? I'm in charge. And then you can see the dog look back. Am I in charge? Where are we going now? You know, that kind of thing. It's not really in charge at all. But it has the impression that it's in charge. And we, we, the Corinthians have that problem now. They've, they've wrangled the gift. And now I'm in control. God's no longer in control. And they've forgotten their need. You see, God doesn't need us. God absolutely doesn't need us. We need God. We need to be found by God. We need to be connected to God. And that's what we're attempting to do in prayer, is connect with God in full, fulfilling relationship. At our home this afternoon, I will likely be watching some NASCAR, because I love that on Sunday afternoons. Um, You can make your joke to your neighbor now about turning left. But when it comes over the air, 
uh, we have an antenna that I just haven't bothered to move outside yet, so it's in the living room. Um, and it's digital, right? We're in the digital age. And uh, as with antennas, right, there can always be interference. With digital antennas, I don't know if you've noticed this in the digital age, but if something blocks uh, the signal, it's choppy. I mean, it's like blocky on half the screen sometimes. Maybe the other half of the screen still goes. Uh, sound cuts in and out in weird ways. Different than the days of the analog. And around our house, we have a lot of distractions running around and running around quite often. So sometimes the image gets blocked. Um, that's fine. I really only need to see the last 50 laps. But in the days of analog, you, all, you may remember that we used to put like foil on the rabbit ears or dryer sheets. And in the older, older days, right, you could even adjust the, the pan and the pitch of the screen and you could have it looking like a film strip and all kinds of stuff like that. But if you want to see, you need a clear signal, right? That's what we need if we want to hear from God. We need a clear signal. And Paul's talking about this order within worship and order even in, in your prayer life personally and corporately. That's really what he's getting at with this passage of Scripture. Don't just get locked into the simplicity of tongues and prophecy, but that we would be connected in a personal way with God, in a corporate way, with God as his people. But in this life, we encounter a lot of soul noise, don't we? A lot of signal interruptions. And I want to tell you a truth right now, just to help us out as we move forward. The world will not stop for you to hear God. Hear that truth. The world will not stop for you to hear God. You need to do the proper soul work so that in, you can hear God in spite of the noise. No one's going to stop for you. No one's going to set up those boundaries. You need to do that. You need to make sure that you have a prayer life that's ordered enough to hear God. And so last week we talked about meditation. This week, contemplation. Uh, St. John of Dal Dalutha, I don't know if I got his name right, lived in the 7th century, says, Hush your tongue, that your heart may speak, which is meditation. And hush your heart, that the spirit may speak, which is contemplation. We talked about meditating on God's word last week, and I strongly encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen. It's on the website. Really memorize take in God's word. It's putting on the mind of God is what we said about it. It's to inhale, if you will, God's goodness, God's mystery. And when we do that, what we said was that we, we, we indwell, God's word indwells within us when we take it in in that way. And we're going to notice new detail. We're going to discover the truth by doing that. We, we buy into a lot of lies without realizing it, but when we take God's word in and really let it sink in, we discover the truth. We're corrected along the way in the lies. But further, the, the, the other thing that happens when we take God's word in in such a strong way and breathe it in to memorize it and meditate on it is that we, we let it interpret us. To many of us, this is the scary phase that God's word would start to work in our lives. That we'd experience transformation because of the word, not just inspiration, we said. Again, inspiration's good. That's the pathway to transformation. That we're never alone when we begin to take God's word in because God is there with us. And that we're ready for action because we know what God's up to. 
we have a clue. We're clued in on what God is doing in the world and how he's called us to be a part of that. That's what we said last week, and you were challenged to memorize some scripture. I hope you did it. I know the challenge for some of you is, which one because there are so many I love? That's a good challenge. I think you're not going to go wrong. I think you can pick virtually anything in there, uh, and you can challenge me on that later, and I think you'll probably be fine. You'll be transformed. But, but the next phase of that is contemplation. To let the text really work just a little bit more. To, to meditate on it just a little longer than you think. To really take in the text. Contemplation is really the second movement to exhale once you've taken in God's word. And when you exhale physically, you're getting out carbon dioxide. And, and you don't, it's, it's a fine exchange that goes on in our bodies, but you don't want that sitting around in your body. You want that outside, to go outside. Otherwise, it becomes toxic when it's in. And also, when you exhale, and you've, when you've taken in God's, or when you've breathed in and then exhaled, you also have something running through your bloodstream, fresh oxygen within your bloodstream. It's healthy if you've taken in good air, less healthier if you're taking in bad uh, toxins in the air. But when we exhale, that second step, and we move to contemplation, we're really allowing the word to stir our soul, is what happens, to clear the channel. So you take in God's word, you memorize, you let it indwell, you let it begin to interpret you and, and work on that transformation piece. But then as you, you bring it in, it functions like a mirror against who you are compared to scripture. And the first thing that we need to do in contemplation as we sort of exhale, as we've taken in the word and let it sit and really get as far in as possible, open up all the doors and let the word sink in as deep as it can is we need to repent because we recognize how much we don't match up to the word. How much we don't match up to who God is and who we're supposed to be. And we pray, God, forgive me for missing the point. God, forgive me for not matching up to this scripture. For not being who you've called me to be because of the effect of sin in my life and my own complicity in it. That's, that's the first exhale phase. What we're experiencing is what the church fathers uh, called something uh, akin to soul sobriety. We're sobering up within our soul. And in that moment, we're asking God, can you repair the broken relationship in me? The next thing that we're also doing then in contemplation as we're, we're letting uh, that word kind of flow through all of our veins, if you will, through the bloodstream, is that we're receiving God's word readily. We're letting it transform not just a little part of us, but all of us pervade our entire being. A, f- a few weeks ago when we had Patty Thompson come, remember they're com- coming next week again, we had Patty Thompson come and she preached from 1 Samuel 3. Uh, and it, it starts in such a striking way that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. That is to say, it's not simply saying God wasn't speaking much. It's also saying they weren't listening much in those days. It was so depraved. It was so far removed from God's intent that even if God did speak, they wouldn't hear it. So the spirit knocked a little less. And, and in that story, when Samuel finally recognizes, and Eli finally recognizes, Eli recognizes, I've never heard the word of the Lord. You're hearing the word of the Lord. When you hear it, when you hear the knocking, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Like they have to figure out how to receive the word in the first place. We have to figure that out. It's an acquired skill to really let it sink in deeply because some of us aren't used to hearing it. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. The more you train yourself, but it's an acquired skill to let the word indwell you 
interpret you and transform you and to really listen to it. But we need to practice that skill so we can receive the word. And the question becomes, why is it so hard? Right? This is, both meditation and contemplation are not things that, that are done in a vacuum. They're done in our real lives, in our everyday world. They should be able to be done anywhere. Even though sometimes you can take a retreat and go to a quiet place or whatever it is, they should be able to be done anywhere, and I believe they can. But why is it so hard? It's so hard because sometimes the co-worker's music in the next cubicle is really way too loud, or it's not what I wanted to hear, right? Or their attitude is way too loud. I don't know if you've experienced that. Sometimes our family dynamics really stink. There's discord in the home. It's hard to think about anything. And sometimes the kids will not stop making noise right? There's all kinds of things that will try and disturb that contemplation in us, and we have to be able to do it in spite of the distractions the world throws. I was struck, we heard Psalm 57 this morning, I just want to read verse 1 again and and see some highlights of it. I was struck by Psalm 57 this week, a Psalm of David, when he says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. And David talks about being oppressed. David talks about how his enemies uh, have teeth like spears, right, and swords. And he's not really just speaking metaphorically, right? His enemies really want to kill him, and probably in mean ways. Those are the kind of people David faced. And yet, he says, be exalted, Oh God, he says, my heart is steadfast. Awake my soul. I will praise you for great is your love. Be exalted. Do you hear all the praise in the midst of life's struggles that David gives? I was struck by that because the world will not quiet down for us so that we can hear God clearly. It just won't. It's going to keep attacking. Things are going to keep bothering us. Things are going to keep being thrown at us. Noise is going to happen. There's going to be all kinds of distractions and things running around at us. And if you look at what David does here, he says, I'm going to put these things before you, God, and I'm going to praise you in spite of all the distractions that come to disturb my soul and take me away from you. Awake my soul, God, so I see you in the midst of all the oppression going on around me. You see, the things life throws at us can become barriers to block us from God or a bridge to take us to God, depending on what we choose. We can block God's presence and say, God, there's too much. I can't see you. I can't see anything. I just need a little personal time, right? Or we can say, I'm going to lay all these things down. I'm going to walk to you over all these troubles to you, God. And I want to walk with you in the midst of all that life throws at me so that I hear you clearly. Regardless of the troubles that come, regardless of the oppression that comes, God, I will listen to you through the noise. The world's not going to stop for you and I to listen to God. We need to do the soul work. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, we're training ourselves to listen to God. And we need to allow obedient listening to lead to obedient living. Because that's really the point. That when we learn to listen, we learn to live correctly. We learn to live as God has called us to live. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 does a classic Paul thing here. I don't know if you heard it in the text. This is so Paul. He says, after all this, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In verse 18. Ha ha. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
But, he says, in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. We need to, of course, be ordered in our life of prayer corporately, but also personally. We need to be able to take in God's word appropriately, inhale it, that we can exhale and, and repent and receive God's word that we're transformed in the process of taking it in. And that's an act of prayer. That's what we're doing. That moves us beyond the world of requests. They're good. It moves us to God's best to be in communion with God and recognize what God's doing with those requests fully and completely. And we may not get the whole picture, but what happens, what happens, the results of praying in this way, these are just different degrees of prayer, is that we hear God and we receive his presence. What happens when we do this, furthermore, is that when we hear God and receive his presence, we actually see God's vision for what he's doing in the world around us. And, as we're transformed, the world's never going to look the same way again. We're going to look at injustice differently, and we're going to look at God's response to it differently, and our response to it, in spite of how God has called us, differently. And even further, miracle of miracles, God doesn't just do something personally with me, but he does something corporately with us, to enable us and empower us as his people to actually live out his vision for the world. Isn't that a miraculous thing? That God would do it. He would shape us as a people because we have cleared the channel to hear him. Let's pray together before we go to the table. God, develop in us a deeper relationship than we have today. Let us not walk away hearing the text in perplexity but with clarity. Let us walk away not thinking, maybe I need to speak this way or that way or pray this way or that way, so much as, God, I just want to know you and I want to be able to hear you. I want to listen obediently so I can live obediently. God, help us clear the clutter in our soul so that we can clearly and effectively hear you and live out your commands. God, you are good and you call us to your best. Shalom. Help us experience your goodness so we can help enable your best in the world around us in the midst of all the junk and anxiety and trouble. Let us not put that up as a block before you, but as a bridge to you. That you'd walk with us in the midst of all that comes our way. God, awake our soul. Give us soul sobriety this morning that we'd know you. In your name we pray. Amen.